Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams, and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well, plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Alarm! Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. With That's me. more like it. It's actually better than Achtung, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's just. I mean, we're 701 episodes. the days where we were saying it in South Korean. I mean. <laughs> I just thought I'd mix things up, seeing as this is the. <laughs> Quite right, too. I'm This all is for the, it. you know, the, the, the first episode of the next 700 episodes of We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> 701st. By the way, thank it. you everyone for sticking with us or for joining us. It's a proper milestone that with uh, I mean, that was with Thursday's We Have Ways USA, which is fantastic stuff about um, 11th Airborne and a little bit of Market Garden chat as well, Jim, I noticed. Yep. Um, yeah, a little on bit. the subject of which, with spanners descending, the <laughs> Remy at Arnhem, right? And it and it starts off basically. Oh, they're just, thank you know, they're, God for the geek book. I mean, well, they're, you, know, they're, they're, you know they're fixing they're stuff. Aren't they? There's a, a brilliant bit where um, the bloke with running spanners the descending That's with the bloke I'm running um, one of the field hospitals. He he captures a Nazi staff car, which I have a suspicion, James, might be a uh, um, a Citroen. I'm not sure. I can't remember. And he says to them, "I say, chaps, could you fix it for me because it won't start properly?" They go, "Yeah, absolutely, sir." And then he never sees the car again. But basically, <laughs> well, they recognise they've got a good vehicle on their hands. Well, basically, but it's this thing of a lot of market garden. The first couple of days, everyone's just like they're going about their, you know, they're, they're going about their business in the way they think it's all going to pan out normally. You know, because last week we talked about that, or the week before, the, about the Padres sent off to bury General Cousin. Yeah. So yeah. they're sort of, you know, they're toddling about before the before basically everything everything is apparently gone horribly wrong. But anyway, it's really 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 interesting. I was recommended this. This is very expensive because this hasn't been in print for quite a while. But we're going to have some re re action. Fear not. Yeah, um, that's really good. That's really good. Yeah. Um, uh, how exciting! That's my favourite title for a book about about Arnhem. <laughs> Ever, I mean, with spanners to <laughs> I could, I could see this as a whole new kind of meme <laughs> running through. We have ways of making you talk. What's really, really, really interesting is, is um, you know, we talked last time. No one knows what's going on. So many of these accounts. To be honest, I had absolutely no idea of who I was with or where we were going. You keep getting that in the accounts. I don't know these. Yeah. I'm with these blokes, and I don't know who they are. I haven't and got a clue. And there's a fair ton of that. And then I also got Niall Cherries, who's an expert on um, market on, on Arnhem, sent me this book called Arnhem: The Final Bat- Battle by Gerrit Pipers, who's a, a, a Dutch writer, and David Truesdale, which is about 11th Parachute Battalion, who are always a footnote in the history of the battle because they're sent into the village. They're split off from four power brigade. They're sent yeah. in. They're sent through the village. They're sent into the town. They're sent in to be the reserve for the South Staffs and what's less left the first first power brigade they're pushed into the town then urquhart changes his mind and tells them they have to go up to dane brink to hook up with fourth parachute brigade coming in through from the woods there's no reserve available to first pa- first parachute brigade as a result yeah at the high war at the high point of their battle and they're caught in the open and the battalion's destroyed colonel lee george lee lieutenant colonel yep. george lee never went wasn't invited to the victory parades and stuff and was basically written off as having messed up by by the powers that be, he was thrown to the wolves. Wow. Whereas, in fact, it wasn't his battalion that p- performed badly. He got given shitty orders. And anyway, th- and they always, they're always a footnote, but because what happens to them happens to them on the Tuesday, on that yeah. one day, they're they going will to be, be... They'll be finding new fame. Yeah. They're, well, they're going to be the really the battalion that, that it's emblematic of what's gone wrong. You hair off in one direction, you change your mind. No one yeah. really knows what's going on and, and bad decisions are piled on top of other bad decisions. Because we know yeah, what happens yeah, at the yeah. bridge. That's well worn. That little inc- that little episode, mm-hmm. fascinating. And the resupply stuff. I mean, I've, I, I, I wrote to the, I haven't ha- had heard back from them yet. The core logistics I've written to them because I want to find the, f- I want to find the red berets in the resupply manifest because the, in a bridge too far, and it's in George Powell's um, accounts as well. In the resupply, there are red berets, but I can't find them. In that book of about logistics has all those manifests, has all the. They're not in there, so where are they? 
I'm sure they, there's too many people tell that story unless it's a story that's become someone said they saw, but I'm pretty sure George, George Powell says he witnessed it. So, you know, there's a thing, there's a thing to, um, that I'm going to try and find out. Well, we, we were saying in the, in the week, weren't we? We were talking about John Tregonin getting in touch with us about various oh. other medical stuff. It's, it was just fascinating. And then, yeah. then Remy and, and yeah. logistics and, and supplies and, and, and all the rest of it. And, and I really do think it's a kind of, it's the big untapped bit, isn't it? When you, yeah. you know, cause those guys, those fellas are not, you know, and the truck drivers and the cooks and all the rest of it, they're, they're not in the narrative. It's all about the bloke jumping out of the landing craft. But at Market Garden, they deposit, but at Market Garden, they did deposit a large number of these people. Yes, well, this is my point. And, and I just think, you know, when you actually sort of pause and, and do start looking at, at the work that the medical corps is doing, and actually it's not just a doctor, it's actually what are they doing and what yeah. is their approach and how do they deal with the different types of wounds and what is yeah. their kind of, you know, their, their, their changing approach to dealing with combat wounds and all the rest of it suddenly all that gets really interesting and but but that gives you a dimension and an understanding of the battle battle scope i suppose for one of a better phrase that you don't get when you're just talking about the infantry and obviously it's right that we focus on the infantry but i do think these these sort of you know the peripheral units for want of a that's actually that's not really the right phrase is it but you know what well, i mean echelon the, the, it's the, their the echelons. echelons it's just fascinating isn't it and yeah. how it all works you know when, when you think about italy for example and you're sort of saying oh they're terribly stodgy it's like yeah but do you know how many trucks it requires to kind of to build a brand new bridge with pillars and columns made out of scaffolding you know yeah, that yeah, has yeah. to compete with the ground forces yeah. and, and and if you don't pause to consider all that then you don't get a complete understanding of why things take the time they do and, and well it's, the, it's the, it, again I mean, it's a, it's a scale thing that we keep going back to isn't it but 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 the scale is just so gigantic it's scale but it's also what what do the numbers really mean you know so a tank can do 20 miles an hour yeah fine so why are they so why are they only doing a mile a day well because do, do, do you know what i mean if, if yeah, got, yeah 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 yeah, you, yeah. completely yeah. Forget those. Forget th those sort of top Trumpy ways of looking at it. You're looking; it's enormous. But you know, there's military policemen in Arnhem because, after all, they they need to get from one end of they need to get from the drop zones to the objectives. So there are military policemen directing traffic, provost people all over all over the battlefield, who then obviously end up jumbled up with everyone else and having to. I think as I remember my father once talking about the colonel once talking about what happened to Hasbrook. You know, the sappers put their shovels down and picked up their rifles. Put it that way, and it's it's. It's that, you know, and you've got the Remy guys putting their spanners down and the logistics guys. It's an extraordinary story of this Captain Kavanagh on the on the Tuesday afternoon who who goes out, takes a bunch of guys out to try and rescue some supplies and runs straight into the left flank of the Spindler blocking line and it, and is, you know, they're an awful business. But that's the logistics guys who basically up to that up to that point have been running running stores and toddling around dishing out ammunition and, and compo. You know, that, that, that they've not been they've not been imagining that they have to do that. Um, uh, anyway, but we, we've got some housekeeping we have to do before and we've got, we go. Spanners descending. Yes, I've just got, I've just got some mental descending. image in my mind of kind of sort of you know uh, over the <laughs> stage at next year's free uh, we have ways fest. Lots of spanners being suspended <laughs> by fishing line. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, we've got other ha housekeeping to do. So um, yeah, we have a Friday briefings. We've decided to do. If you're a yeah. member of our, if you're a member of our Patreon, our Friday briefing in your inbox, which is extra info about the podcast, our on this day stuff, anniversaries from each year of the the war, and deals. What we're doing is we're teaming up with museums up and down the UK, so that um, so that if you're an independent company member, you get money off museum. Uh, visits who currently got a deal with Bletchley Park. I'm taking the cast of the Crown Jewels to Bletchley Park on Friday. Well, as a kind of sort of end of run treat. End of run treat. And they're all ter <laughs> actually all terribly excited about it. Oh, they? Um, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah which is really winning them over. They're being tickled up like a trout. One of the stage managers, she's she's been and has read all about it and knows all about it and was actually putting me to shame with her knowledge of knowledge of how the how they break the cipher because because in the end i mean i've had it explained to me many times yeah, yeah but i but i don't really know what what it any of it means no i know i know I, it, it, it's amazing isn't it with, with bletchley and code breaking because if someone can tell you and you sort of go literally for seven minutes you've completely got it and you understand it and you go oh right yeah and everything sort of flots into place and then the following day you're trying to describe it to someone and they go so how does it work and you go i've got a 
<laughs> I always end up going, I always, uh, my sort of like factoid is to go, of course, the important thing about the Enigma machine to remember is that no letter can ever be itself. And therefore, that means if you've got an X, it's definitely not an X. And that there's your way, there's your staring point. No, that's that, quite good, actually. That's quite good. Yeah, that but, is good. But that's it, Jim. That's, that's a... Yeah, I know, uh, but, it, but, but you're just then, starting, it's a hint, isn't it? It's a kind yeah, of, you, you know, you're just starting to get the beyond of my not understanding. We haven't really done much on Bletchley. No, we haven't done on anything on Bletchley. I mean, maybe we I'll really come haven't done anything. And I think it's because we don't know what we're talking about. I've, exactly. I mean, I, I did I did look at that uh, official GCHQ history, which was all about, um, which was, all, you know, didn't explain how they did it, but was all about the systems yeah. of management in place and how much, how they ended up with more basically more information they knew what to deal with. And so how do you sift that and cipher yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. But also that the Germans... The Germans were running a, a really, really strong intelligence, intelligence game until kind of the mid, until basically like everything else, until mid nineteen forty two, where yeah. where they got overpowered by Allied, you know, effort and expenditure. Well, here's a thought. I think we should maybe, maybe we should do some field work, and maybe we should go and have a day at Bletchley and record, uh, do a Bletchley special week. Well, or and, and or we can I record phone, three or four, or I phone you five minutes after I've been at Bletchley Park on Friday afternoon and explain it to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as it's before seven minutes, then we should be all right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, we're <laughs> Sorry, part, and we're partnering yeah. with Cole's Books, aren't we, Jim? Who, who yeah. run our yeah, bookshop yeah, yeah. at We Have Ways Fest. 10% off any books we mentioned in the podcast this week. Although I mean, that's, with not to be sniff, that's not to be sneered at, is it? Uh, no, although with Spanners Descending is, at, is out of print. So you can't... <laughs> uh, and I, What I would have given to get 10% off this book. I mean, it cost me 100 quid because it's so... What? Rough. Yep. Oh, I'll be but worth had, every every. I had to have penny. it. I had to have it. I know we never do the hard sell on this podcast, but actually this is, I think... Never do the hard sell ever. If you're interested in, in what we're doing, then that's where the, that's where the sort of... The, the, um, uh, there's there's more juicy cuts. Well, and I would say the other benefit I've, I've, I think is is the, is the knowledge that that when you become part of Patreon, you are also joining a gang. Yeah, you, you're, you're joining a brotherhood and a sisterhood, and and there are lots of like-minded people. And and if you if you if you feel like a little bit bit shy about your deep love and affliction of, towards the Second World War, <laughs> you can come out here, and, and and it's okay. Yeah, exactly. Patreon.com slash We Have Ways. Hard sell ends. Hard sell ends. That's it. That's it. It's Great. all over. Okay. Um, so I've had fun this last week. So I've been I've been tooling around doing um uh, on the road, and I've met loads of IC people. I'm, I mean, Warwick is unbelievable. It's got three regimental museums, and it's also got. I mean, you know, most regimental museums are in old buildings, yeah. um, with sort of creaky stairs yeah. and and sort of you know reasonably old craters and all the rest yeah. of it. Well, the 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 um the Queen Royal Hussars Museum is new. Right, uh, and and one of the people behind it is Jack, and and Jack is um he's actually moving to the the, the National Army Museum. Yeah, uh, he got in touch with me, said, "Oh, here in Warwick, you know, would you like to come and have a look around the around the the, the QRH Museum?" I was like, "Yeah, of course." So I went round there they all were, and um had a had a tour around. It's a brand new building, brand pretty much brand new museum. I mean, a regional museum which is new and it is it's curated with a with a lot of love. Um, and a lot of passion, and it was fantastic, and and it was just fascinating. It was really good, really, really good. So that was oh, fun. Brilliant. And then I went to um, uh, then I went to the Warwickshire Regiment, um, saw Monty's battle dress, lovely, very good, and Slim's. Is it tiny? Six, uh, I mean, it was tiny. It had a lot of medals on the front. It was from his kind of sort of post-war days. But I did think, you know, if you're ever performing at Leamington Spa or Warwick or whatever, yeah, yeah, you, you need to yeah. get your ass over there because okay, it's I it's shall. it's absolutely amazing. And lots of people saying nice things about the podcast, and um, and that was all very nice. It was lovely seeing people, and people yeah. have given me kind of their grandfather's diaries, copies of that, and oh, brilliant, all sorts of stuff. Someone came up to me the other day and said, "You're too obsessed with 1944 and and D Day. You need to do the Pacific more. A lot going on in Pacific. I really hope next year." you will do it. And it was kind of sort of, you know, pull your socks up and you need okay. to kind of up your game. I mean, we will, we are sorry, well aware. We are well aware. There's an awful lot we haven't done yet. Yeah. But su yeah, yeah, such yeah, is, yeah. such is the na nature of, 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 of the subject. I mean, there's literally everything happening everywhere all at once. That's the, that, I mean, that's the, that's part of the brilliant appeal. Well, the talking of which big week, 18, yes. 80 years ago. So let's look at that. Let's look at that. What, what, what is going on this week? I mean, there's the, this is this amazing thing. You, um, You've got Jim. This sort of a uh, World War Two, Second World War digest. Yes. Um, uh, well, concentration camp inmates kill guards at Sobibor. Yeah. The six hundred inmates of the extermination camp, mainly women working in the small tailor's workshop, have risen up against the camp regime and staged an astonishing escape attempt. White Russian Jewish partisans, led by Alexander Sasha Pichersky, 
34-year-old Russian Jew who served as a political commissar in the Red Army. The rebels killed 11 guards and shouted, Hurrah! to signal a mass breakout. In the chaos that followed, the guard shot 200 inmates dead. God, Christ. They get away, don't they? But the thing is, is the week before, 10 days before this, Hitler has spoken of his moral, of the moral duty of the SS. In uh, um, uh, Poznan on the 4th of October, in an address to the SS, Heinrich Himmler at Reichsführer SS has spoken frankly about the Jews. Among ourselves, he said, um, this once it should be said quite frankly, not in public will we ever discuss it. I am talking about the evacuation of the Jews, the annihilation of the Jewish people. Most of you must know what it means to see a hundred corpses lying side by side, or 500 or a thousand. To have stuck this out, and apart from a few cases of human weakness, to kept our integrity. This is what has made us hard. In our history, this is an unwritten and never to be written page of glory. I mean, honestly, when you, when you see it like that in black and white, um, and I know, you know, and this is the, the, the idea is this is like a, he is saying, you know, they, and they know they're not allowed. They know that they're, they're, it's murder because he's saying this is an unwritten and never to be written page of glory because they know, they know that they know it's a crime because, because of course they do. But, but to see it in black and white, and he goes on, we had the moral right. We had the duty to our people to destroy this people, which wanted to destroy us. We do not in the end want to be infected by this germ. I mean, oh it, God, it's this unbelievable. This bacillus. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just extraordinary, isn't it? And and the other thing is that it's the way they present it as this kind of sort of, you know, we have to do this. We have this moral duty, but we have to do this because this is the only way Germany is going to survive. And, and it's a filthy job, and and it's not very nice for people. But but this generation has to suffer this so that future generations yeah. can be free. I mean, it's just it's just bollocks, isn't it? But, but, well, how can something be a, a, a moral right and a duty, and then obviously something you can't tell anyone about? Well, I know. How does that? How does that um, uh, does square that up? You know, yeah. the, the, the right at the core of it is that that essential, you know, uh, lie. Let's just, I'll, I'll tell you what, we'll read the headlines and then we'll talk about them because because we, I just said it's everything everywhere all at once. Japanese forces evade, evacuate New, jo- New Georgia. The Free French yep. take Corsica. Yep. ABC is appointed naval supremo. Yeah, so he's uh, he's first uh, sea lord after this. Yeah, this is Admiral Cunningham, who's a hero of the, of, of Matapan, the, the, yep. the great commander in chief of the Mediterranean fleet. Yeah, Australians attack in New Guinea. Badoglio yep. declares war on Nazis. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. Up. Not these yeah, no, incredible. Are, yeah, Allies whatever. Yeah, Allies set up War Crimes Commission. British and German PRWs exchanged. Yugoslav yeah, that's Patriots. interesting, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that is really, really interesting. The exchange of thousands of sick and seriously wounded British and German PRWs began at the Swedish port of Gothenburg. Most of the British were captured in the 1940s. They've already done three and a bit years. Jeepers. Yeah. So what is this? People with cancer and things. I mean, seriously I ill. and 5,000 Germans and 5,400 British and Imperial forces now going home. Um, Yugoslav Patriots sabotage Krups. But the two big ones, I think the two big events are Fifth Army crossing the Volturno, um, uh, the sort of great river. This is where the German forces retreat to after the f- abject failure of their counterattack at, at Salerno. Yeah. Um, they retreat well, there. Which we, and which we talked, about, talked about last week and, uh, uh, or the week before. And, and Kesselring's, Kesselring's completely, I mean, in your view, I'll go so far as cack-handed, Cack-handed handling of the Allied invasion serves himself un- up under naval gunnery um, in his counterattack and hasn't read the hasn't read the terrain right. So it, no matter Again, what, like he didn't yeah. in Sicily, yeah. So no matter what panic there might be in Mark Clark's headquarters during that counterattack, was never going to get anywhere because they, they, they took anyway. the wrong route to go to the they took the wrong route. Uh, and I know they haven't had time to reconnaissance, but you can look at a map. So the Volturno is about 25 miles north of Naples, and it and it, and it runs it, it it curls down from the north. So it curls down from the from the um, a, a mass of mountains, which actually paves the way for the for the Bernhard Line, which performs the basis of the Bernhard Line, which is the first major defensive position on this kind of double lock, which is the Bernhard Line followed by the Gustav Line, and the Volturno sort of snakes southwards and then does a 90 degree turn towards the sea and it cuts in between two series of mills so it's a hill so when you when you go north of of naples you get to caserta today the motorway runs um runs to that you have caserta on the right and you can see this big ridge of mountains and sort of hills and the other side of that is the volturno and the northern side of the volto is a, is a there is a floodplain either side of it which is which is very narrow on the southern side it is wider on the northern side but then goes into hills so it's it's um 
uh, hills rather than mountains. The mountains are sort of behind, but the, these are, are sort of notable hills rather than, than mountains. And of course, because it's been raining basically since the end of September, the floodplain is absolutely a, Yeah, the, a, river, a the river's completely engorged, isn't it? Yeah, it's not too... It's, it's, it's not over the banks. It's just that the it's just that the floodplain is quite sort of waterlogged yeah. and damp and muddy as it would be. So the idea of sort of getting Shermans over that, you know, you can forget it. You, you know, they're on the roads only, that they're not crossing country. And the room for manoeuvre for the for the for the Americans in that so so you've got you've got you've got the the thirty fourth Red Bulls crossing and the um, and and the third infantry crossing, and then you've got uh, and then you've got the British you've got the fifty sixth and the forty sixth and um, and seven farmed actually um, uh, who are still there at this stage, um, and they're in the coastal bit which is flat, but the Americans are in the hilly bit, and you've got the forty fifth beyond the Voltona. So they're, they're trying to get the high ground. Cause I said, do you remember I said it, it sort of, it cuts, t- does a sort of 90 degree dog leg to the, to the West. So the 45th are, are sort of attacking beyond it. So they don't, they don't actually have to cross the Volturno, but it is, so it is the 34th Red Bulls and the, and, and the, um, and the third infantry. Their, their room for maneuver coming out of the hills to cross the, the river is really not good at all. And then for the British, they've just got this flat approach. Where the Germans can see them coming from the hills, away to the uh, away to the east a little bit. So it's a it's a really really tricky proposition. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, every which way you look at it, this 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 is this is a tough ask. Uh, and of course, it being the Allies, the way to get across it is to kind of absolutely pummel it with vast amounts of artillery and then get across in a night attack. Uh, and broadly speaking, that happens. I mean, it's quite interesting. Do you remember Jack Ward? Um, that, that diary you tipped me off about, which I bought. So he's really good on all this because he's, he's, he's buying artillery support as his spike, I suppose, uh, for, for the, I guess it's the 56th Division's attack at Capua. But anyway, you know, he's, he, he says time to 2045. This is on the 11th and the battle for the Volturno is on. From an OP on the top of the house, I could see what looks like a sea of fire reaching for miles. What a do. It's just fantastic. Um, and, and Lucas, um, General John Lucas is the sixth corps commander. So he's the, the immediate American commander of the, of the divisions that are crossing. And um, he is, his command post is at Madaloni, which is very close to Caserta. So he's on the other, he's on the southern side of this little ridge of hills, which is separating Caserta from the Volturno. And he's amazing. He goes, so this is on the uh, 10 o'clock on the, on Tuesday, the 12th of October. He says, tonight we cross the Volturno. Having been working on it for days, I've done all I can. And now I'm in the hands of God and my subordinates. You know, you can sense his nerves and anxiety about it because it's a major river crossing and these things are are, are not easy at all. And he says, a solemn thought that your name on an order means the death of many men. Isn't that a thing? Which it does, of course. Which it know. does, of course. Which is which, which is why, after all, you know, it's not for everybody. <laughs> no, no, no. It, I mean, John Lucas. I mean, you, you, you know, I, he, I think he was right to be fired when he was fired mm. um, in Anzio in in February nineteen forty five, uh, forty four rather. But he, he comes across as a very sort of humane, decent man. I mean, he's you know, he's he's you know, he's not a hard. He's not a driver like Patton, but he's not he's not a he's not a wimp either. I mean, you know, he, he he's quite dogged, but but. Yeah, the Germans miles behind on the Bernhard line can hear it. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a huge thing. These at these barrages. I mean, hundreds of guns. You know, that's what it would have been. But I mean, they do basically get across. I mean, the the, the British struggle in in the flat bits for for obvious reasons. But but it's a it's a tough battle. But they do get across. They do get across. And you know, overnight they've they've got inroads on the on the North Shore. The, the Germans defend it, but they don't defend it as as strongly as they might and and by the kind of, sort of 15th 16th of october you know the battle's over and the germans are kind of pulling back and streaming back and delaying actions and trying to get behind the bernard line right? to, to go back to an earlier point you made you're talking about these enormous artillery barrages i mean this this takes tremendous logistic effort especially if you're moving heavy guns that, that you're, you're talking heavy lorries on poor roads you know bringing the ammo up Digging the guns in, sighting the guns, you know. Getting uh, the OPs forward. Getting the OPs forward, getting the tele- tele- telephone lines out, making sure that the that the guns are, um, that the ammo's all set, that the guns are clean, that the men are fed, that the, you know, and then and then maybe the shoot's cancelled and you're told to move two miles forward. You know, Jack Ward talks about, about all this from a, like the RSM's point of view. 
Um, and Spike Milligan talks about that, you know, he's exhausted because this is what they're doing all the time. And he keeps, he keeps wait, you know, there's that whole thing. We, uh, last night we made the mistake of sort of sleeping in a ditch and it rained. And, and so we were washed out and that keeps happening. And everything's reduced to seas of mud and they're manhandling the ammunition in seas of mud. And if you've got heavy guns, the rounds are, you know, they're really, really, it's incredibly intense physical and logistic effort. And, and you I mean, to say, of course, the Allies do their usual thing of plastering it with a load of artillery, but but the effort that goes into just being able to do that as your as your reflexive way of doing things, you know, and you can see also why, because very often, well, no, every now and again, you get an offensive where someone goes, actually, you know what, we're going to not, we're not use the guns and we'll, we'll do a silent attack at night or whatever. And it's, a, and it's a success, which makes you think, so why do they bother with the gunnery? That's still not, it's still not flesh, isn't it? It's, it, it's your, it's just, every, you're trying to do everything you can to guarantee a still not flesh. Well, and, and the other thing is, if you thing. did a sign of infiltration every time, then you wouldn't, it wouldn't always succeed. It won't succeed because <laughs> the other side will, they'll up their pickets and, and, and all that and be, be, be wise to it. Yeah, because the, the, the silent night infiltration only works because you don't do it very often. Uh, it's interesting. I got sent a um, I got sent a page of a diary today. The, the diary belonged to this guy's father, and who was a foo, a forward observation officer. I think with the seventy second field artillery, and Monday the eleventh of October, nineteen forty three. You know, so he's with Fifth Army. He goes moved into open open brackets exclamation mark close brackets, position south of the Volturno. And sorry, his son says, why Why is there an exclamation mark? It's like, because it's incredibly dangerous. And, you know, <laughs> he's in an exposed position. You know, open positions are not good. And then Tuesday, he says, can see the glow from Vesuvius at nights, the big attack, Mike and the BC. Do you think that's battery commander or yeah. battalion commander? Maybe. Made it. Good. Lots of jaundice about. And then Wednesday the 13th, full moon. And what a beauty. How I despise these wartime strikers. So news obviously yeah, coming yeah. in. Of, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Well. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> this is, this is, um, uh, well, well, we're talking about we're talking about the thirteenth. Let's see. I'll just see if we've got Spike Milligan's entry for the thirteenth of October. October. There's no entry for the thirteenth. It's the fourteenth. They've they've moved well, to the tenth. It'd have been really busy. Thirteenth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd have been busy all day. October fourteenth, nineteen forty-three. My diary notes. Disgraceful. I've seen the regimental sergeant major with a fifty tin, and he told us no fags were in store. They are in store. He bl his bloody store. Food terrible, bully beef and half a mug of tea for breakfast. Here we were nearer to India than England and only half a mug of bloody tea. There was a revenge party on the RSM's wagon in the small hours when he slept in nicotine bliss. The sufferers had pushed his wagon a mile out to the depot into a siding. So they're in a railway siding. That's really funny. That's really funny. But, uh, well, yeah, I mean, Jack Ward says, says um, from an OP at the top of the house, I can see what looks like a sea of fire reaching for miles. In fact, it's being fought on a 90-mile front. What a do. The Navy are also in the show, and tanks are being landed at the mouth of the river. This is right on the coast. Our planes join in in the morning at dawn, can hear machine gun fire, so the PBI, poor bloody infantry, are on the job. Our guns are firing now. They shake this house as they are being and shooting over the top of us. The plan has now been changed and we go forward on the left flank and faint on the 8th Army on the right of us. On the 13th of October, the battle is still on. The time is 1910 hours and the evening blitz is about to start. What a night last night. First a ring of fire. We have established bridgeheads over the river, but Jerry is counterattacking, but has been beaten back. No news yet received from other flank. We know that some tanks were landed from the sea north of the Volturno, but how far they got, we don't know yet. The Yanks have made a bit of a headway, should receive some news later, I hope. The daily routine must go on, so as it has been a nice day with a warm sun, I did my washing and it's nearly dry. It's at present hanging in the corner of this great room and we've got a big log fire going and a light from our batteries. This room is fitted with shutters, so we have a good blackout. October 14th, rain again today. The battle for the river seems to be going going okay we've put down a lot of fire today on various targets we were shelled again this afternoon but nobody hurt three shells from a dud gun or guns landed in the courtyard outside our office window making large craters one chap had his bivy tent buried but he was not inside it at the time only fair that we should move back now and again had a big mail tonight including one from ralph whitehall and michael and one letter from chris we shan't move from here until the re's have made the royal engineers have made a suitable bridge across the volturno they are on the job now
15th of October, the battle's going very well. Jerry made a counterattack last night and saw PBI had heavy losses but regained ground later. We shall be on the move before long, I think, to a position by the river. We sent a recce party up this afternoon and they got shelled today, going up myself in the morning. Heard on the wireless all about our battle for the river. Amazing. There Incredible. You go. In real time. I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of it. But, of course, it's not, it's not the only thing that's going on that week. Well, so let's take a break. We'll see you in a tick. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and, and James Holland, uh, of course. For your Second World War. I mean, to be honest, if you're coming back after the break, you know what this thing is. I mean, that 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 that's like that's like a thing redundant from television where basically the, the endless assumption is that people don't know what they're watching and can't remember or can't recall, like, retain any information at all if there's three adverts in between them and part one and part two. It used to drive me mad where they go, we got to recap. Why? They're watching the programme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, really annoying that in, in documentaries, isn't it? They're watching the program. I don't need to recap. They're yeah, but you might, attention, you might have gone out, you know, but you, it, also you're not going to because because these days you just pause it while you go and yeah. have a piss or that get a cup of tea. Is, that is an excellent point. And um, uh, that, that, that I think maybe is the next time I have an argument about, um, about recapping. I'm well, maybe in the up. old days, but not anymore. Yeah. Right, so the 14th of October, yeah. Well, the 14th of October is, is what, what becomes known as Black Thursday um, in the US 8th Air Force. And this is, it's, it's their second major effort since August to carry out the, the um, plans for Operation Point Blank. And Point Blank is first mooted by Ira Aker at the Casablanca Conference in 1943. It's finally signed off. It's agreed again at the Trident Conference in May 1943 in Washington, and then finally signed off by all concerned at the beginning of June. And Point Blank is is the idea that strategic air forces operating at this time out of Britain and England um, should focus as their number one priority on destroying the Luftwaffe and the German aircraft industry. The problem is that the German aircraft industry is not in the Ruhr, um, which you can reach quite easily from, from Eastern England because it's in West Germany. Why is that? It's not been lo it's not been located there with strategic bombing in, in mind, has it? Why is it? Well, I Messerschmitt mean, has grown up in, in, in Munich anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Junkers is also just south. It's just grown. It's just grown up. It's just the way. It's just the way things have turned out. It's just the way things have turned out. I mean, exactly. for the Allies, of all the rotten luck, that might be the case, right? The, yeah. the, the, I mean, it, it could be. It could be no yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, but it could be really bad luck. They could have Wales in East Anglia and East Anglia in Wales. So that's that's worked to very much to their advantage. Yes, that's a good point. So that's yeah. quite good luck, you know. Yeah, So, yeah. so and, and, you know, the Ruhr being in the west of Germany is also quite useful. Well, it's useful in return. So, yeah. But, yeah. but, but, you but can't but have everything your way. Yes, but the Americans, but the Americans have diagnosed essentially if you, if you go for the air, for, the air industry, that's as close to the jugular as you're going to get with the, in the German defence picture. Steel's one thing, but actually, if you can directly disrupt aircraft manufacturer, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be forced to defend that. I mean, they're forced to defend things anyway, but they're going to be especially forced to defend that and so on. Well, there's, there's, there's two major reasons for point blank. First of all, obviously, if you destroy the aircraft industry, uh, fighter planes whether they be night fighters or whether they be day fighters, they are the biggest threat to bombers. Yeah. By miles. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a 20% chance of a fighter doing a head-on attack of hitting you, but there's a 0.002% of, of an anti-aircraft shell hitting you. So, or something like that. The 0.002% is definitely correct, but it's sort of something like that with the, with, the, with the fighter planes. You want to get rid of them because that makes bombing easier and bombing, you know, when you can bomb more easily, you can bomb more effectively and, and bomb at will. But the second thing, again, is overlord and... and, and Overlord has been put absolutely at the number one priority at the Trident Conference in May 1943. And that's where it's all agreed that it's going to be on the 1st of May 1944. It's where it's agreed that, you know, it's, everything, nothing's going to be diverted from it, blah, 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 blah. But one of the big, big, big priorities for it is, and prerequisites is that you should have the Allies need command of the airspace over the whole swathe of Northwest Europe before it's launched. And this is so that you can slow up the German ability to reinforce the bridgehead. And you do that by bombing bridges and marshalling yards and all the rest of it. But you can only do that by by bombing very low level. And you can only do that if you haven't got 
Fockerwolves and Messerschmitts hovering above you, which is why you need it. So, so Overlord already by the summer of 1943 is completely dictating absolutely everything that is going on in the wider picture. The problem is, is that what they discovered on the 17th of August, 1943, when they, they, they struck Schweinfurt, which is, is a ball bearing factory. And you need ball bearings, not only in aircraft, but also in, um, in tanks and whatnot. Well, and everything. Everything. I mean, everything. everything, everything that moves basically. Everything moves is bullbearing. Yeah. So, so yeah. they're they attack that, and that's that's fine. But of the three hundred and fifteen um, flying fortresses that fly, sixty get shot down, and another hundred and twenty four get damaged, and you know, it's it's, it's an absolute sort of completely unsustainable. So basically, it's taken them since the seventeenth of August to the beginning of October to have another real go at doing point blank targets because these these. Division, the, these aircraft factories are deep in the south of the Reich and in Austria and you know Munich and so they've been gearing up so they've been building up strength again following the slaughter of of uh, and building up strength generally because a lot of their their planes have been diverted to the Mediterranean and stuff uh, and so it's not until the second week of October that they start doing this sort of major series of operations deep into the Reich again and yet again it's a you know the, the problem is that they these flying fortresses and these liberators despite being in a tight formation well it doesn't work a lot of people thought it would work um and and really did and really were entirely confident this was the way to go about things and i always kind of find that remarkable really because if a fighter attacks you from out of the sun at extremely high speed the advantages are all his aren't they what are you doing in a flying fortress 200 knots and a, and a, a fighter yeah. plane will make a pass at, you know pass at you at more than 300 360 knots. yeah 360 maybe, maybe even 400. 400 if they're diving down on you yeah um so so you're never going to you're never going to see him shooting straight is difficult at high speed in an aircraft but if, against a slower and larger target it, it just it, it it's always struck me that no amount of it's it was always I've always thought this no amount of machine guns and no amount of you know, there's always going to be someone to pick off at the back. There's always going to be people, you know, someone on the edge who's more vulnerable because he's not in the middle. And, you know, there's not a wall of lead coming off everyone. Unfortunately, it always, it always, I always think it's kind of really naive, the idea that it would work. And especially that you've had the Battle of Britain, which has shown you what intercept fighters can do to bomber formations. Full stop. You, 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 you know what I mean, Jim? I've, it's, it's always always been one of those things where I, where I sort of think, did they really think that that would work? And of course they did. They did. Um, tragically. They absolutely did. They thought, they thought because they've, they're, they're, you know, compared to a, a Lanc, you know, the British were saying, well, we've moved to nighttime bombing because we discovered it was so dangerous, which is also why the Luftwaffe did it as well in the Blitz. Uh, and, and, and the Americans go, yeah, but our planes have got 13, 50 caliber machine guns and we fly in for a tight formation where we're all mutually supporting and we have, have escorts. It's like, well, yeah, but you don't when you're going to Schweinfurt or Regensburg. That's the problem. And, and they get absolutely hammered. So anyway, so it's taken them this length of time. There's now 39 airfields that are occupied by the 8th Air Force, in, 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 which, you know, is going to grow because they're still quite a small force. You know, they're capable of putting out 380 400 planes something like this by october um you know when you compare that to kind of sort of 1100 by by middle of middle of 1944 you know they've still got some way to go so it's, it's still a comparatively small force but again when you then compare that to battle of britain day and the largest raid that the germans mount is got 100 bombers you know it's still quite a lot but but if you take one example for example like the 100th bomb group which is going to be the subject of the um masters of the air so they are in action on the 8th and the 9th and then on the 10th, so three days in a row, they get sent to Munster. Munster. By the 10th, they've only got a 13 fortresses that they are fit to fly. So there's a lot more around the perimeter, but they're all covered in battle damage. And there's there's one there that's even got a completely shredded wing that somehow made it back. I mean, they were really good at, at, at being robust and all the rest of it, but they're in a, in a terrible state. Of those 13 planes that go out on the 10th, only one returns. You know, so it's an absolute sort of... So in three operations... The 100th bomb group loses almost 100 men. I mean... So it's so four months earlier, it had reached England with 140 officers, and only three of those on the 14th of October, Black Thursday, are ready, are, are capable of flying. I mean, there's a, there's a simple question. It, it, and, and obviously it's been decimated. It's a, it, yeah, it, it literally been decimated. But there's a, there, obviously they solved the problem. But the, the, the simple question is, how on earth do you persuade people to get in those planes um, when that's what's going on? <laughs> well, it's, 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 I have no idea. You know, 
fo- as a as a basic a basic question. I don't know because we, we've talked about the morale cross. You know, we've talked about the morale crisis in nineteen forty three in in Italy, and uh, the, the you know the the difficulties that the Allied armies are having. What, what on I earth? have no idea. I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, because because you know, if you think in four months they've got or three months or whatever, I just said, you know, that yeah. that that's that is literally the whole bomb group gone. So, so the targets are worked out by the American Committee of Operation Analysts (COA). The COA back in March has recommended that enemy fighter aircraft production should be the number one target priority. Well, it makes I mean, ball it, bearings it the second makes perfect sense, though, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and, and ball bearing factories in Germany are producing 2 million ball bearings a month. Messerschmitt factories at Regensburg are capable, have the mm. potential to build 2,400 Messerschmitts a year. So, obviously. Wow. And on, that- the, on the first Schweinfurt raid, they're attacking the Kugel Fischer ball bearing plant, and only 424 bombs are dropped. Production is reduced by 34% for a short while, but, but you know, there's enough capacity there. And But 60 bombers equals 600 aircrew. Yeah, 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 yeah. If they have eleven they bombers lose, scrapped, lose... one hundred and sixty-four damage. Yeah, and they attack Bochum as well, don't they? Just before that, and lose twenty-three of one hundred and thirty-three planes, so seventeen percent of the force. I mean, it's just, it's just. So they also, they also, they they spread that. What well, they their approach is always to never have one target. So they always spread it. It doesn't matter if you've got two hundred planes or three hundred planes or whatever. You would have multiple planes. So on Thursday, the Thursday the fourteenth, it's the Arado Works at yep. Anclam on the Baltic coast. Yeah, the Fokkerwolf plant at Marienburg, yep. and also at Munster and Bremen. Yeah, and then Schweinfurt again. Yeah, mission number one hundred and fifteen. And do you know who's in command of Eighth Bomber Command's Third Division? Who is it? Brigadier General Curtis Lemay. Yes, you see, because this is the this is the <laughs> this is the interesting thing is this is when he starts to feature, isn't it? directly tied to their turnaround isn't he so i mean but but i i, I still don't i st- in the end those odds those odds are terrible <laughs> yeah absolutely dreadful and the weird thing is is that lemay rings up um colonel neil chick harding who's the commander yeah. of the 100th bomb group and says to them, look you know you've had a terrible time of it i'm very aware how you know you've just done three nights you know on a row um and you've had a big effort so you know you can sit this one out if you like and Harding replies, the hundred go off ops never. So <laughs> good bloke. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose. I mean, if you're one of his men, you might not you might not yep. think he's such a great bloke. No, exactly. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. So off I, they go, and it's another slaughter. I, I have to say, Jim, um, uh, t- t- tangentially, um, in your um in Sicily, in Savage Storm, yeah. Who's the Who's the pilot who who is literally caught in the Catch Twenty Two thing, where his missions his sorties keep going up? One of One of your protect One of your protagonists. He's literally caught. He's literally caught in that thing that happens yeah, in Catch Twenty Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where they Where um, they up his missions. Jim Reed. It's amazing. Yeah, I met uh, him. He was really cool. Oh, uh, really? Because I was reading it, thinking, but this is just cat. This is just Catch Twenty Two. I know. This is like truth is. Stranger than fiction, or, or or it's real. It really did. Yeah. It really did happen to people, and it's happening to him. It happens to him two or three times in Savage Storm, where they they, they flick they flick his um missions up, which I mean, that would drive you mad. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Well, because it, yeah, 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 absolutely. He ends up doing. He's supposed to do fifty. Ends up doing ninety, and he only missed that on his fiftieth because he's got a sore thumb. So, so it's General, Ge- General Fred Anderson, who is the, um, who's the commander of 8th Bomber Command. He sends out the order to bomb Schweinfurt again, uh, 11th p.m. on the 13th of Wednesday, the 13th of October, 1943. He goes, this air operation today is the most important air operation yet conducted in this war. The target must be destroyed. It is of vital importance to the enemy. Your friends and comrades that have been lost and that will be lost today are depending on you. Their sacrifice must not be in vain. Good luck good shooting and good bombing okay so that that sort of you know he knows this is a hard slog he knows that this is a tough one but but it's not exactly instilling you with too much um no i mean it, oh um, my god there's a there's an excellent book by martin middlebrook about the august raids the, the the first the first attempt a really really fantastic book full of very very vivid um uh, uh witness testimony and and from people on the people on the ground as well saying what it's like even when even when because this is the thing even when a raid fails 
and is and is a disaster like this. It's still no, it's still no picnic being on the receiving end of the thing. The intelligence officer, you know, they go for the morning briefing on the fourteenth. Gentlemen, may I have your attention? He says, and um, this morning we have quite a show. <laughs> Let's like say that again. So then they have this whole thing. You know, they always do this thing of the Americans. They, they have a curtain. Pull back the curtain. There it is. And he goes, it's Schweinfurt again. And for a moment, the whole hall is just total silence. And then groans and whistles. And, and one of the guys there goes, son of a bitch. This is my 25th mission. So this is his last tour. And he just thinks, oh, God. And another guy goes, what the hell are you crying about? This is my first. <laughs> I mean, can't uh, believe it. <laughs> I, you know, is it better to die on your first sortie, or your, <sighs> you know, or your last one? I mean, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. They take off about ten in the morning, ten fifteen, something like that. It's a complete horror show, isn't it? But he, he does get back. He does his twenty-five. That one, he makes it home. We've flown this far for Uncle Sam. From here, we fly for the U.S. There's, that line is absolutely repeated in um, Memphis Bell. Yeah, but this is the thing, though, Jim. And we've talked about we've talked about these situations where you know the, the impetus of what you're doing means you have to do that. They have to do these raids. How else are they going to learn? Is what that is the thing that they they are the people in charge are definitely thinking. How do we perfect our techniques? We know it's going to be bad. We have to hit the enemy. We have to hit the enemy in a way that's that's justifiable rather than you know because the American the Americans you know still do think they can hit things precisely at this point, don't they? Or, or, yeah. or, or, well, it's not, or ish. But, well, it's, yeah, exactly. It's not quite that. It's but, but, the, but better than you can do it if you're doing it at night. Exactly. Or it's kind of, it's a sort of policy that operate, uh, operates around, on the if and when this works, we'll hit something accurately. It's, an, it's like an if only tactic. Uh, and I think- if, if only the, the skies were clear and, there's, and the blue and there wasn't a cloud anywhere to be seen and there were no enemy fighters or crack <laughs> underneath, we'd be fine. <laughs> we'd, we'd be fine. We'd be battering this place. And, and, and but, but that sustains them even, uh, you know, uh, even up to the point when then, then the fighters, you know, with range come on online, the thunderbolts yeah. first, of course, um, uh, and then the and then the Mustangs and and the, and it changes the pic it changes the picture quite quite radically, radically. But even, yeah 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 but, but even, also and also but but even improve, then, improving improving um, um, means of getting there and yeah 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 H two S or H two X but 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 it's not just that, but it's but but still you've got to get in the sodding plane and also I go I go I go back to I keep going in my mind back to um, that still in 1945, that spring, spring, and uh, uh, you know, winter and into spring in 1945, even when the Allies have air supremacy, not air superiority, they're, they're, like it's com- total, do- total domination of the skies. Fighter crews are still getting shot down, still getting lost on rhubarb, still get, you know, that, that, that it doesn't mean it's safe. It means you can, it means you can, de- it means you can deliver, um, aircraft in you know re- in force to places reliably but it doesn't mean it's safe it doesn't it's mean certainly not safe you know uh, it's not uh, safe think, at all you know e- even though they even though they do d- defeat the Luftwaffe the Luftwaffe's you know um, still in it um, yeah. and, and still able to in- inflict you know Pierre Klosterman that's that's what his book's all about that, that last yeah yeah oh my god it's so good isn't it yeah, where he's flying temp, where he's flying tempests, you know, out of somewhere near Eindhoven, and they're and and the crews are getting the crews are getting killed. I mean, I think the interesting thing in 1943. Um, uh, I mean, here's a here's, here's a stat for you in, in um, 1943. Bo- um, Bomber Command. How many aircraft did not, in 1943 did Bomber Command lose? Do you reckon off the top? of 1943 your head? Bomber Command. Off the top of your head, Bomber Commander. It's got to be hundreds, hasn't it? In over the course of nineteen forty thousand planes, <laughs> you're not trying hard enough. No, over the okay, course of nineteen forty three, the command lost four thousand and twenty six aircraft. Oh my god! Two thousand eight hundred twenty three in combat. Wow, that's just oh my god, that's horrendous, isn't it? That's well, the scale so, of so, 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 that's the scale of it, which is that that yeah. is I've ne- that, I've just never considered that. That's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Horrendous. Okay, so. Um, do you know what happens on the second Schweinfurt raid? <laughs> yeah, of course I do. <laughs> so guess how many people, for, guess how many come back from the 100th bomb group who've just only one out of 13 a few days earlier? 
guess how many come back on on the 14th oh it, it just completely repeats itself well actually all eight make it back yeah yeah and this is the whole point the, it's the randomness of the whole thing so so three days earlier you know four days earlier five days earlier whatever it is on the 10th no, four days earlier one out of 13 makes it back on the 14th on 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 a on a raid which is an absolute slaughter all eight do for no reason they just it's just that's the lottery of it and so that in a way it's kind of worse because as a pilot you kind of think well okay i know a few tricks of the trade but, but ultimately you know that, that's only improving your odds a little bit so the 505th loses 13 crews out of 16 13 out of 16. The 506th loses 10 out of 18. The 92nd, 379th, and 384th bomb groups all lose six crews. Total, 60 fortresses again. Exactly the same number as as a lost on the first Schweinfurt Regensburg raid. 594 men killed or captured. 30, 40 wounded. Seven more aircraft have to be written off. And 138 are damaged to varying degrees. Jesus. Yeah. You know, was it worth it? Because the, the, the harsh reality is they'd lost 148 bombers, heavy bombers, you know, in right. seven oh, days yeah. of bombing. Seven days of bombing, 148 heavy bombers. It, it, I mean, it, it, times 13. Crew. I'm going to put it out there. I don't think it is worth it. Sound well, no, worth and it. That, which is why they're <laughs> having such a panic on, because they yeah. know they've got to get this air superiority. I, I think, I think the. I mean, I, you know, obviously I've covered it in Big Week and I've covered it in my Normandy book, but, but, but I think generally speaking, the connection between D-Day and the air war is not sufficiently made. And, and it's when you see that, that you start to understand why the Big Wigs are going, we have to get foggier. <laughs> and and I know it's tough on the on the infantry battalions uh, in Italy crossing the Volturno yeah. that they're not yeah, getting the priority they should big, do, but we have big to get foggier. Yeah, 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 that yeah. is why. You know, that's... It is. It is for these reasons, and and isn't it? It's it's, it's an incredible irony that on the same days that you know one of the main days of the fighting across the Volturno is also the second Schweinfurt raid, which comes known as Black Thursday. I mean, if if ever you need a reason why you're in Italy, it's that. And and, and you can argue a toss over whether Fodger is actually going to make them any, make any good, but but that is what that's about. That's about getting closer to the Southern Reich. You know that you can get to Wiener Neustadt from Italy, and and you can get to Austria, and you can get to kind of Romania and all this kind of stuff easier than you can from East Anglia. And you can you can overcome the problem that the German aero industry just happened by chance to end up in yeah somewhere unreachable. From <laughs> yeah, England. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, lucky oh. people, we've got um, on Friday, we've got a special podcast because we have got um, an interview with Lucky Luckadoo, who was one of the eight eight pilots that came back on the Triumphant Raid on Black Thursday. He's one of the guys who made it back. They, call him, lucky, they call him Lucky for a reason. Lucky Luckadoo? Yeah. Jo- Captain John Luckadoo. He was known as Lucky. And, and, and an amazing conversation it was. Oh, my God. He was absolutely amazing 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 yeah no he was probably probably good so so tune in folks well thanks everyone for listening Uh, again uh, you know making that connection between the Volturno and Black Thursday and and Foggia and Italy and you know I think the meanwhile meanwhile thing that you've started I think actually is really cool because it does, and I, I I don't think in the past I've given this enough credit well you know in my you know in um, in my Arnhem book I'm going to have the Royal Navy meanwhile meanwhile uh, I'm just going to have a, the Royal Navy diary for the day. This is what else is going on. Because the Royal Navy will have had to make sure it didn't shoot down the, all the transport. Yeah, yeah, flight, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah got a bit of form on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Anyway, thanks everyone for listening. We will see you again very soon. Cheerio. Cheerio. Cheerio.